Yeah. What's yes. happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Music Guy Podcast. The podcast about a couple of working musicians in the Toronto, Ontario area. My name's Al Rowe. I'm a music guy. I play guitar, I sing, I write songs, I make records, I teach, I stream, I do a bunch of stuff uh, music-related and otherwise. My co-host coming at you from Whitby, Ontario. Uh, He's also a music guy. He plays guitar, sings backup vocals, composes... Uh, not backing up nobody now. N- not not playing live at the moment, but uh, you know who is really. It's Mr. Michael Hebbs. Woo. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're very very excited to uh, welcome on an old friend of ours and uh, friend of the show, our special guest this week. Uh, excellent drummer, excellent human being. Plays drums for uh, a whole bevy of artists, including Alessia Cole. Cole Jack, X is for Eyes, Vanessa Marie Carter, Beverly Mahood, Sarah Brightman, and many, many more. He is a Sarah Yamaha is education clinician. Yeah. Pleased to introduce my friend and yours, Mr. Aaron Spink. Gentlemen, Yay. how are we doing? How are you? I'm uh, doing all right. How about you boys? You know. <laughs> can't complain doing a podcast it is what it is right now yep. uh just making it you know dipping dipping a toe back into the world as things mm-hmm. slowly yeah, yeah. start to uh, uh restrictions slowly start to relax and and gigs start to be able to happen i got a wedding gig tomorrow what yeah i'm doing the just the ceremony and just the cocktails uh there's gonna be 12 guests and I'm going to be very far away from all of them. And I'm are just you gonna... playing just by yourself? Yeah, solo, it... acoustic, and vocals. Really? I got to bring my own PA. I can't touch anybody, or nobody can touch me. <laughs> and uh, I'll, you know, wear a mask like when this... uh, possible. I feel like this is what they've wanted all along with yes. the musicians at these things. Yeah. Like, yes, this is an excuse to do that. Finish now. Finish your set and get in that <laughs> fucking room. Get in the box. <laughs> <laughs> Make like a tree and. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. So it's going to be, I, I want to say it's going to be interesting. It's probably not. It's probably just going to feel like most gigs, except yeah. like there might be a couple of odd situations where I'm like, somebody goes for the handshake and I'm like, oh, whoa. And like psych them yeah. out. Get the you fuck know? away from me. Yeah. I've done that to a number of people over quarantine and I feel yeah. awful every time. Like mm-hmm. when somebody extends the hand and you don't shake it, like that's. That's the disrespect. Oh, yeah, that's exactly you what, what I'm mean? worried about. I don't give a shit if I accidentally put out the hand and go, whoa. No, no, but if somebody no. puts their hand out and I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, man, I want to please this person. Yeah. I, I think I think a good alternative hand. would just be like really, really force, force the face. Yeah, just know, <laughs> <See>, my, <laughs> my, my, the face. My me. issue is that like I've got that reflex to just if somebody extends the hand, I just automatically go for the handshake, you know, and then but then I realize halfway through that motion that we can't do that right now. So then I pull yeah. it away, and then it's like a total psych out. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you should say psych. Have you dealt? Yeah, psych. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and then people be like, oh, well, let's just bump fists. Or like, there's this weird elbow thing happening right now that I'm not mm-hmm. really a fan of. And I'm just like, yo, we don't have to touch at all. You know, yep, <laughs> I'm cool that's with true. that. 
I was gonna say take a take a page out of the book of Howie Mandel. He he just he unadulterated, just doesn't he doesn't care about your feelings. He's just really animate about making sure because he's a germaphobe mm-hmm. not to shake hands. So even yeah. when you put the hand out, he's just like elbows are good. Elbows are good. Like yeah. that's always something right. to do. But, but I know I know Al is just saying it's a weird sort of motion. So yeah. it's weird because it's like um, I I think we said this before, but my mom she watches uh, what's that fucking show? Doubt Abbey. And it's set in a time recently after so the pandemic. So it's like the twenties. Yeah, yeah, and they don't shake hands or hug or anything. Oh, really? You know, so that is also a, a British thing that was very waspy and very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. See, I don't watch that shit. <laughs> Maybe that's where it really came from. I yeah, don't know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, man. So, I mean, we we've played a lot of music together over the years. Aaron's a, a Humber College graduate. Uh, we worked together at a school called Marsman Music back in Scarborough. Uh, for oh, yeah. many I'm years, still there. Yeah, you still. Mike still works there. That's right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've played a bunch of gigs together. We haven't been super in touch over the last uh, handful of months since the uh, the lockdown and everything. So, wh- what has that been like for you? And where? How is? How have things changed? How have they stayed the same? So, in some regard, because I am already somewhat of a recluse myself, mm. it was a dream come true. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a part of being a musician I think for everybody and and you guys might have actually talked about this on the pod before but um we've kind of been training for this our whole lives <laughs> yes um we're sort of used to a certain amount of solidarity and just being kind of in one space or one room for a very long period of time doing things and for me it was uh it was a good opportunity to forcefully slow down and kind of come back to a point where I, like, cause I know for myself, just from, from being a working musician, just like you guys, sometimes when you're working sideman and you're doing a lot of educational work, uh, you just get spread thin and by having an opportunity, opportunity like this to pop up, I mean, as much of a silver lining as you can take from it, um, with what it is, it was a good opportunity to go, well, okay, now I can just focus on things that I always used an excuse for being too busy to do those things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and um, so I, I know that there's that one side of it where I was probably for the first couple months, I was actually going, man, this is amazing. Um, and um, just really kind of relishing in that time uh, on the flip side of it. There's, there were obviously a lot of things that I truly missed and really had taken for granted before that I knew, okay, when we get the opportunity to get back to, air quotes normal, I'm really going to savor having that back and I'm really going to value it and cherish it. One of those things, for example, being... Butterfly kisses? Butterfly kisses. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of those things being even just like the gym. Yeah. Uh, one of those things just taking it for granted um, mm-hmm. that it, it was always been there and yeah, I'm going to take the day off or something and I, I've, I've been pretty physically active working out for a long time in my life, just even from from years that I was playing a ton of uh, competitive sports when I was a teen. Um, so I've, I've been used to it, but then you can easily kind of go, well, you know, I can take the day off and I can, you know, not worry about going. And then all of a sudden when everything closes down, you can't work out the same way that you were able to before. So when you're at home doing workouts, you're going, man, this is just not coming together. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel the same. And having to forcefully modify how you do things, it's, um, it's a bit of a shock. Um, so there's that thing. I missed you guys. Yeah. Like yeah. just being able to go out and, and 
And, you know, because uh, I think for me, the gigs were a really good opportunity for me to keep in touch with everybody that I, I work with. Um, as I kind of stated and mentioned, like I am, I feel like in some regards, I'm, I'm a, a recluse. I, I live a naturally hermit lifestyle. Same man. <laughs> um, and doesn't mean that I, I don't like to talk to my friends or people that I, I, I you know, gig and work with and um, see on a regular day basis. But I have such an appreciation for my own personal time that it's no different than if, you know, I haven't seen you guys in months or I haven't talked to you on the phone for months or texted for months or whatever. It's like we can easily drop a line to each yes. other regarding something and, and it's like no time has passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have moments where I think I was getting some, a little bit of cabin fever, probably end of May going into June. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, it was, it was starting to get a little, a little. Do you th- have your friends um, <clears throat> gotten used to that? Cause it took my friends a little bit to get used to that. My, my high school friends. They're like, mm-hmm. man, I haven't seen you in six months. And I'm like, it is what it is, baby. Yeah. This is just, this is who I am. <laughs> well, I, th- I think too, like back, back when we were working a ton, that's just normal. We we have to sacrifice a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, holidays, uh, weekends, where a lot of our friends are working day jobs. Like one of my best friends who... Um, so funny enough, I, I feel like I've got two really best friends who are almost like the brothers I never had. One of them is your brother, Will, um, which we'll, we'll talk about that yeah. later. But he's a musician. And my the, my the other one is a friend of mine named Jeff from... Uh, we've been friends since high school. And he works, uh, you know, pretty much day hours. Mm. And when, you know, when we comes come up and we're gigging, he's free usually. And when, you know, the week kind of comes up and I'm, you know, I obviously do a lot of teaching and I'll be busy during the week as well, but I'm not using my days to work uh, in terms of teaching. I'm usually using my days to practice or prep other things and get ready for other gigs. It's still like you're on off schedules with a lot of people. Yeah, it makes it so difficult. Yeah, so so you know it it kind of turns into just well, it's the same situation almost, but but the circumstances are different. Yeah. So uh, the reasons why you're not getting together and maybe conversing with those friends of yours as much is just that's changed. Yeah, the things they want to do too, though, like schedule thing, and it works for everybody except for me. And I'm like, say la vie. Yeah, it, it is what it is, and it's it's just uh, like I said, it's an opportunity to take advantage of some things that. You know, um, like we can just sometimes get caught in our cycles of what we do and how we do them. And maybe like, especially being side guys, sometimes we can have aspirations for other things that we go, ah, I'll get to that eventually. That's exactly and, it. Yep. And this time it was me making a promise to myself. Okay. This is most likely in this capacity, uh, knock on wood, not going to happen again, at least in this part of our lifetime, like most likely. Mm-hmm. You never know, but most likely, I mean, there's the whole adage of this happens probably every 100 years to this capacity and this extent. But thinking on those lines, while, uh, you know, it's like, great, like I can take some time off, I can relax a little bit. There's also that side of me that's going, you'll never have as much time off it's as you will now. for that reason. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, there's a bit of a balancing point to that is kind of understanding, okay, like how much is too much time spent doing a lot of that other work and then you know, asking the question, how are you going to make, make this work when life gets back to normal? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you going to be able to balance and juggle those things? And I, I think, I think I've found a way to kind of do that for myself now, but you know, we won't know until 
That's time's exactly you know, time's going to yeah. tell. We won't know until everything goes back. I think to we home. should just stop doing this podcast when uh, when the world gets back to normal. <laughs> My favorite way that someone's referred to what it was like, you know, prior to COVID is Tom Moffat said the before times. <laughs> In the before yes. times, the before times. I was at a outdoor social distancing thing uh, for RJ's birthday actually uh, this week, and I ran into. Uh, Dan Mincham, who's a friend of all of ours, bass player, great bass player. Oh yeah, uh, and he's originally from the UK, although he doesn't speak with uh, with an English accent. But he calls the pandemic the panty, which is super yeah. British. I feel, I feel, oh, and yeah. it's awesome. So I want to make that a thing. The panty, the panty, the panty. The panty. Should make a T-shirt that says "Get down with the panty." Yeah, exactly. Get down with the panty. So you're <laughs> uh, sickness. Aaron. You're super into fitness. I know this because I'm I'm a friend of yours, and you 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 had brought it up that obviously took took for granted going to the gym all that stuff. Your girlfriend Amber is also a personal trainer, is that correct? Yes, she is. So, which <laughs> it it's amazing having like we've been together now for almost a year and a half, and like I've been I've been working out for so long. But I feel ever since I've met her, you know, not to get all mushy and everything. Hey, please, but. Kind of, kind of being with the right person, it really makes you realize the things that you need to improve on and not just as a partner, but as a person. Sure. And I think having a good partner or somebody that you're with always tends to push you in that right direction. Like she's never been one to lie to me. She's always been pretty blunt about- Which is amazing. Yeah. Oh my God, that's the yeah. best. And, yeah. and, and sometimes it's, it's going to hurt hearing a certain thing. Yes. But knowing that it's coming from a from a position of love, like there's there's truth in that. There's truth. It's no different than having some of your own friends tell you something very blunt and honest. Yes, mm. that you wouldn't know yourself. Yeah, in comparison to maybe some of those people that go, well, here's how I really feel about this, that, and the other towards this person, but I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but she has, um, like during this time, like I've actually started having a little bit of uh, wear and tear on my body over time. Like I've had some injuries over time that were mostly sports related, but I, I've also been feeling just some aches and pains and things kind of happening that have made me have to uh, readjust how I, I work out. Um, so for like the, for the longest time, it was mostly bodybuilding type work and mostly coming from a standpoint of the aesthetic of everything. Yeah. And, um, because of those wear and tear injuries just kind of happening, like I've, I'm dealing with a little bit of lower back stuff right now. Um, the way that I've had to work out has had to change and it's taken somebody like Amber to really make me aware of that and, and kind of get me over my little stubborn hump of like, well, no, like this is the way that I've always done things and it always worked. And if I can get back to doing that and she's had to go like, you need to slow down you need to come at it from a smarter angle, not like a, yeah. uh, it becomes more about the quality than the quantity. Mm. It becomes more about, you know, less, less about your like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to just, you know, go, you know, balls to the wall type thing and, yep. and essentially be like, no, like dial it back and think, you know, plan a little bit more and yeah. take into consideration the things that you've got in front of you, such as little aches, pains and things like that. Like I am no spring chicken. I believe I'm <laughs> the oldest person on this uh, podcast. Actually, know. you know what? Actually, yeah. I might be the oldest guest so far on the podcast. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Who, so, who we had on that's older? 
Yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to out anybody. Everybody's everybody's 24 <laughs> in this business. So, yeah, I mean, you know. yeah. I don't feel like I'm 24. Um, yeah. I've like never felt like I was 24. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my question then is like, what have you been doing to stay fit, and like, what should people be doing? I know gyms are opening up again, but I, for one, am not interested in going back uh, with the way things are currently. Um, so, like, what can people be doing from home? I think a big, big thing that, uh, that you definitely can't, uh, just stay sedentary the entire time. You have to just remain mobile. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember hearing something that basically a lot of elderly mortality comes from lack of mobility. Mm. So the less active that you naturally are, uh, the more likely you are to actually, uh, have your chances of death increase. Okay. So... So in other words, the, like if you are just zero mobility and you just sedentary the entire time, uh, your cause of death could be a, a number of different things, but those chances, you know, drastically increase just based on your sedentary lifestyle versus an, an active one. So one thing that people can just do is just get up and just even walk. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, that was a big part of, of, you know, kind of being inside, having all the blinds closed or being in my basement, wood shedding, and just kind of spending so much time doing that, that by the time night rolls around, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to just like read a book or yep. I'm just going to do something else and still stay inside. Whereas it would, it would be better to, well, even just go take like an evening walk. So mm. I, you know, um, took my mom out for a couple walks with me around the neighborhood just yeah. to get her moving. Cause she has a lot of aches and pains herself as well. Um, and just even like getting up in the morning and one of the first things you should do, even maybe before you eat breakfast, go for uh, a small jog or, yeah. or that walk or a, a, a quick run, just something to kind of get you moving and get you going. Mm-hmm. Um, little things like that. I think some people think about all the different exercises that you can do and just trying to uh, keep a status quo of your own workout conditions and everything that you would have accessible to you in a gym, but trying to make that work at home gets really overwhelming. Yeah. So just think simple, just think simple, just do more active things. Um, just kind of get up and walk and move. And that is probably going to be better for you than anything else. I would think it's better than just staying sedentary. The entire Oh my time. God. Just- oh, yeah. I can't remember the percentage of people that die after retirement within five years. It's something like insane because they're just used to being like, oh, yeah, I have to walk around at work and do things. And then, you know, they retire and they're like, this is great. And then, you know, within five years, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of people die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's things like falls or like obviously heart attacks, but falls because your legs don't work as well or, you know, just stuff like that. You know? Yeah. One thing that I've been doing is after we had that podcast with, uh, with Sean, uh, way back when Sean from down in Nashville, um, oh, yeah. where he said he starts his, I mean, this guy's, you know, this guy's a machine. Like he starts his day every day, like 90 minute workout or something. I was like, okay, I can't, can't necessarily do that. <laughs> but, but one thing I've incorporated is, um, using the good life app, which is actually, I'm, I'm sure a lot of different gyms have it or whatever, but it's got all these different, um, training plans in it where it's, you know, it's like 12, 15 minutes a day. Like it's not very much time at all. Right. But I'll just make sure that I do one of those every morning and they're like kind of kicking my ass. Like some of them I can't do and they're all body weight, no 
gear needed. There's a lot of like jumping exercises and like plank. You're doing a plank, but you're also doing like another movement. Uh, mm. And I've really found that it's uh, it's activating muscles for me, and like I'm getting sore in spots that I didn't even like realize. You know, I could I could get sore in from the workouts I was doing when a gym was available because I would just do the same sort of exercises that everybody does. You know, bench press, squats whatever like the main sort of exercises and then these ones that have you going in all these weird positions and like weird motions are actually really beneficial i think just to um preventing injury when you're doing day-to-day stuff and you lean over a certain way and you like tweak something i have i I, it's my feeling that these exercises are really helpful with that so i'm glad i've kind of discovered that although i'm not sure if it's as effective as you know go actually going to the gym and really (laughs) body weight stuff is a very underrated side of working out i would even say doing body weight work is great because you can do it every day Mm -hmm. and not really have to recover as much as if you were lifting a lot heavier weight Mm -hmm. in the gym such as things like bench press and everything um because sometimes when you when you go in and you want to start to max out and get to a point where you're you're like let's say you're benching and you're like yeah i'm gonna get my max max bench at four reps and then i'm gonna go in and i'm gonna do like lap pull downs with double my body weight or you know like just just stuff that seems um like you're putting on so much load that essentially you're gonna feel it the next day mm-hmm, but in a yeah. lot of cases you do you end up doing body weights uh body weight stuff like just push-ups um and you can angle your push-ups you can you can have your feet elevated for mm-hmm. like a, an incline push-up or you can uh, decline push up and you're going to hit different parts of your chest. You can even do if, if you can, um, stuff like, um, like, um, uh, handstand pushups against a wall, uh, which is going to help you activate your shoulders more so than, than, you know, if you weren't doing any shoulder motions and a lot of those exercises, like you won't feel them as much the next day, but you'll feel a little more refreshed simply because you've actually gotten a workout in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Handstand. Al, if you could fire <laughs> some handstand push-ups out, yeah, we'll wait right now on uh, on camera. Uh, well, you know, I I saw not to go too deep on fitness and stuff, but actually we haven't really talked about this on this podcast before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw a really interesting Joe Rogan clip, and I can't remember who the fellow was that he was talking to, but the basis of the clip was uh, it, the idea of a recovery day, like the idea of going day on, day off, day on, day off, is actually setting you back in terms of what progress you could attain right so like he he was saying if you work out to the point of exhaustion and then the next day you're sore and you have to take a day off you're losing that next day of being able to work out whereas if Mm -hmm. you work out the first day just do enough that you're you're exercising you're working hard but you're not totally spent by the end of it tomorrow you can wake up do the same thing next day you can wake up do the same thing whereas when you're going to the gym lifting as much as you possibly can you're going to be you're going to be cooked the next day you're not going to want to go back right so i thought that was really good advice and uh i think that yeah like you're saying these body weight exercises aren't going to aren't going to destroy you but they are going to you know if you're doing them every day they're going to they're going to help you out a a lot i think Mm -hmm. yeah and uh, and being able to like cycle body parts too, like I used to do the uh, 
what is called the the bro split. Oh yeah, which mm. is yeah, and I like and Al knows this too because I don't know if you remember way way back when we were playing up in Dryden and uh, yeah man, and we went to the gym man and we we were working out there and <laughs> doing our stuff. Um, but like back in those days too, like I I was doing the bro split, which is kind of like you do one body part and you hit it super hard per day. And you're going to feel that, that soreness, but at least when I was doing that, like I would be going on to another body part. Mm-hmm. So I would never sort of have that day off. So I could go six days a week mm-hmm. sure. and maybe that seventh day is, is, um, maybe a little tiny bit of something like just like a jog or whatever it is. Or even mm-hmm. if I was going to take that day off, that was fine. But the downside of that is that what happens, you start to get, you've hit that body part so hard that it's probably going to maybe take a few days for you to rest and recuperate there, but then you still have an additional three or four days before you're going to hit it again. And now you've kind of wasted the amount of time to, to kind of like develop that more. So it's, sure. it's still now resting too much. So sometimes when you go do body weight stuff, um, yeah, like obviously you don't have to rest in between as much or when you're actually going back into the gym and you're maybe formulating a little bit closer to a, like a push day versus a pull day. Um, so maybe like a chest and shoulder day. Like for example, I went in and I was doing mostly, a, um, um, like upper chest, upper, upper middle chest, like those types of presses, incline press and a, and a flat bench and a cable fly plus some shoulder and upright row variations. So that's a little bit of a push day, whereas then the next day is probably going to be maybe some sort of, of pull day with back and biceps. And then the day after that, maybe we're going to take as an active rest day. So we're not lifting any weight, but we're going to do steady heart rate cardio for 30 to 45 mm-hmm. minutes. And then that way I've had a, at least a little bit of muscle rest and recuperation, but it's not like I'm not doing anything else. So active rest is great because you're still going to be doing some sort of a workout. And because not everything is based on muscle, right? There's cardiovascular. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even just te- kind of taking stress off your joints in certain parts of your body, especially if you have aches and pains. But um, but kind of managing it and being able to organize it in a way where you're never not doing anything. Like you're at least doing something. Sure, sure. Which mm-hmm. is good. Steroids too. Those uh, those help. Oh, <laughs> you <man>. know, <laughs> old juice. Get some juice. <laughs> is, what do they call it? Gear. Gear. Gear, uh, yeah, that or I think like trend is one of the big ones that had to come around. <laughs> so, yeah. so Will, uh, when he <laughs> when he was not when he was first working out, but he was working out for a little bit, and he went to there's this like you know wasn't a chain supplement store. It was over you know on Brock Street. One of the ones that's closed down now. Yes, yeah. and like he was just chatting with the guys like, oh yeah, you know I want to get these shoes and can I get this protein powder. And he he'd went a few t- times, and the guy just sort of volunteered. He's like, "Yo, I could get you gear if you want." Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, no! Yeah. Well, actually, another thing you got to watch out for, and it's still kind of prevalent today. If you ever if you ever look at uh, pre workout supplements, they're crazy. Oh, those are so bad for you, aren't they? Well, they're crazy, but it's it's also you notice how they'll cycle out a product after a couple years because the the FDA in the states has finally caught up to it. Mm. So a lot of these things they can flood the market with. And like, there's some of it that that will stay around. Like, Anno um, Explode is still around. Yeah, yeah, it's still around. Loves that but one. it's just not. <laughs> it's just not as popular as it was before. But like, I remember getting some pre workout that it like actually has, like the um, HGH. It's, it's got. Yeah, well, no, it's got the like. Basically, <laughs> it's it's um, amphetamine. 
Oh so yeah. yeah. Wasn't there got, one that was like a few yeah. chemicals away from meth? Well, it 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 pretty much it pretty much is that. It's just a variation of it. It's sort of looking at, at like how um, morphine and um, heroin are kind of like they're in the same. They're cousins yeah, to yeah, each yeah, other. Opioids. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah, opioids. Yeah. So like amphetamine is the same thing. Which there's a there's a a, a podcast I listened to a true crime podcast where they actually talk about how, Oh man, we're going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, hey, but they're, ta- they were talking about how like the U S for a long time has basically been run by figures in political uh, society that have been addicted to meth essentially. Oh, wow. Like huh. JFK. Hitler was really into meth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, wow. um, but some of that pre-workout stuff though, like, like when you, when you like, it wasn't like I was going out looking for it, but the market is so flooded with it especially in the States that you could easily grab stuff and start taking it and be like, Oh man, this stuff, I could lift a house and then go back to some of the safe stuff and go, yes. Oh, I see the difference. Like actually it's, um, if you ever look at baseball players in like the major league baseball that get the 50, 50 game suspensions, Mm. it's usually not steroids. They're getting, they're getting suspended for it's over-the-counter pre-workout supplements and fat oh, cutters shit. because they're so chompful. They're, they're basically full of amphetamines, which mm. is in the same class as methamphetamine, basically, mm. and then they just get caught for that, and they go, oh, I didn't read the label. Yeah. That's like, pretty much yeah, what yeah, happens. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's they make enough anime. money that they should probably just read the label, you know? Yeah. But, uh, true that, true that. <laughs> they probably yeah. have a personal trainer or yeah. you know, a yeah, consultant. Yeah, have somebody uh, on staff who can, who can you know... Uh, screen that stuff for you yeah hitler was into meth uh i don't know if it was like meth math yeah but like I, um i, I, I was I listening know. to i i can't remember yeah i think it was a that uh hardcore history podcast oh yeah it's a great one blitzkrieg mm-hmm. and so that was fueled by meth yeah uh so what it was was germany had this like supplement that was an amphetamine and they didn't know it was bad for you back then. And it was just supposed to like help you wake up and work harder and shit like that. Mm. It was very common. And when they were doing their Blitzkrieg thing and sort of taking over the country, you know, soldiers would be like fighting for four days straight without sleeping because yeah. they were just hopped up on meth. Wow. Uh, and so Hitler, I think, dove into that and, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I did not but know But to that. reel this back to music, I mean, yeah. <laughs> for for any drummer out there, don't take any of these pre-workout supplements that have amphetamine in it because it'll really mess with your time. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Man, we're playing at like 150, but it feels like- <laughs> It'd be fun to do a podcast yeah. on these. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mess around with any so of that pre- or post-workout. I don't, I don't know. I, I stopped. I, I haven't stopped, taken it in a very long I time. I stopped bothering yeah. with that. I mean, the protein powder thing, I think it was a bit of a placebo kind of thing. I don't know if it really did well, anything. Well, pro- the- at least for me. People anyway. people think about protein powders uh, as being this like superfood thing where it's like, yeah, yeah it's going to get me jacked. It's like, no, the whole the whole purpose for the protein powder is you're get, just getting quick protein mm-hmm. that you can have instantly that your body needs. So it's no different like after you work out and maybe you haven't eaten for a while, your body's a sponge and it's dry. So what happens when you put water on a sponge? It just soaks it all up. Mm-hmm. So the quicker you can get it into your body, the the, the better. Um, I don't think it's something that you should be having probably like three times a day as like meal replacements. Yeah. But, Ooh, yeah. Um, That's what Soylent's for. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember you walking around with bags of that. I, I have okay. fond memories of us going, I think it was, uh, I think Texas? it was big Texas. Yes. 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 And you're the back, of your, yeah, yeah. Yep, back of the car. Oh man, I gotta get this Soylent in. This white powder that I'm pouring into a bottle, just, you know, hoping the bouncers don't like 
misconstrue things. <laughs> oh man! To be honest, I, I like if I'm if I was gigging again a bunch and like yeah, I think I would be doing Soylent. I just don't know if it's actually bad for you. Mm-hmm. I know it's technically not considered a meal replacement now. That's why they stopped it. Yeah, it doesn't meet the requirements to be a meal replacement. Yeah, it's probably just verbiage. Yeah, that's yeah. usually that like back, yeah. yeah. I just don't want to get any like tumors 30 years from now. You know what I mean? In my butt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's where they show up. Red meat will do that to you too. Something's going to get you. you know? I, yeah, I, I didn't expect to be alive this long anyways, man. I've right. been alive for yeah. fucking four or five extra years than I intended. <laughs> um, so one of the things that you've been working on, Aaron, uh, over the course of the, uh, uh, the panty, you've really stepped up a bunch and you've been kind enough to actually include some of my music in it is your uh, Instagram and YouTube uh, video channel. You do song covers, you do let uh, mini lessons, you do sort of technique based videos. Can you talk a little bit about the channel and uh, how you started, how you built it? Sure. So um, this is kind of what I was alluding to without actually saying it uh, right off the top, but when the pandemic happened and quarantine came about i knew that i had a lot of time on my hands to then take and obviously put it into a lot of projects that i wanted to do and for years um for for a very very long time i've wanted to do more uh online lesson video work and again life just gets in the way and gigging gets in the way and teaching gets in the way and stuff happens and you just never seem to kind of pull the trigger on it Mm -hmm. and this was me making a promise to myself that no matter no matter what, uh, like no matter how bare bones it might seem, no matter how, um, because you know there are trolls out there and there are different people that yeah, will you're always, afraid someone's gonna be like the lighting in this video. Oh yeah, yeah. or or just little things like uh, like I'm doing all the videos off of my iPhone basically because I yeah. I just don't have iPhones look great. Oh, it's great. Little things will happen where the audio will um, like when you're playing drums. And the drum sound is coming through and then maybe you stop and there's still resonance happening and then you talk and, and it kind of drops the volume yeah, on your voice yeah, yeah. and then it's got to pick it back up. Yeah, yeah. I had one guy on Facebook um, through a, a group called a Facebook group called the Yamaha Drum Closet. I couldn't tell whether or not <laughs> like I couldn't tell whether or not he was saying talk less or talk more because he was going, oh, like I can't hear you know, like, make sure you check when you put your volume up and this and the other. Shut up and play. And I'm like, so you're t- telling me you don't want me to talk, but then, or like, you want me to talk, but you don't, I don't I get it. I love the internet, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so just much. like, there's no, it's like, learn to articulate yeah. what you mean. So, uh, yeah, but <laughs> but for me, it's it's about consistency and it's just been about, like, just content, just putting it out. And the only way that you can learn how to do this stuff better is by just, doing it yep no matter what so i'm i made that promise to myself back when uh back in about it was around march uh like i think right uh like maybe that second week in the pandemic and i just kind of flooded flooded my youtube channel with some stuff and then i started doing it every every week so i do a weekly lesson video every tuesday on top of that i've also been doing uh, so now every Friday and I just released, um, cause today's a Friday. I did part six on my, uh, or no, sorry. I think it's part five. Part five came out today of, um, of a book, uh, that a lot of jazz, jazz guys work on when we're, we're developing uh, coordinated independence. 
uh, called Advanced Techniques for the Modern Drummer by Jim Chapin. I've seen that. Oh, Is that yeah. the old looking book that you have? Yeah, yeah super yeah. old one. So I started doing that. And the reason that I started doing this book is because I have um, I have quite a few students that are working on this, but because we're not doing in-person lessons and a lot of it's online and I can't really play in real time with them, I wanted to give them a representation of it that they could always go back and watch. So then that way, when we did have our lessons, they might either have questions about it or they might also say, oh yeah, like it came through so much more clear on the idea of what this was because yeah. I was watching you play. And you know, kind of even going back to the the whole thing um, with my work with Yamaha, which we'll probably talk about at some point oh, yeah. today. But uh, we kind of pride how we do our education systems off, uh, based off of model performance. So that's really what these videos are for. They're for a model performance. So really I'm trying to represent, okay, here's the exercise and here's how it's going to go. And then I can sort of break things down within the lesson for them. So in other words, they can go watch the video beforehand, check things out. I do kind of talk a little bit about what's maybe happening in each video, but for the most part, I'm just basically getting people to watch the exercises. Mm. And then in our lesson, we can break those things down. Um, But that idea of model performance is just really what these videos are all about. And a lot of my interest in doing this really came from like when I was in high school I was like, I was a big dream theater fan halfway through high school. And one of my favorite DVDs that I ever kind of watched was, um, it was a liquid drum experiment, uh, DVD oh, with yeah. my Pornoy. And that was kind of like one of my first forays into educational music DVD stuff. And I, I always liked, like I started getting into, uh, Steve Smith did a bunch of them. Uh, there have obviously been ones from way, way before that, like Dave Weckl and Steve Gadd have had videos for, uh, since like the eighties, um, Thomas Lang, Marco Miniman, a lot of these, these really heavy sort of like technical drummers, but at the same time, just drummers that basically have some sort of educational mission statement. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is performance based, but then they're also kind of breaking down concepts. And that has always been a big thing for, for me outside of performing has been this sort of educational approach kind of like I started doing actual in, in-person clinic work a few years ago and obviously with everything happening now that that hasn't been able to come to fruition in fact i had a couple of clinics i was supposed to do this summer that got canceled that sucks so but that that's kind of where that comes from my love of education really came from watching these drummers breaking down like the records that i was listening to and then talking about concepts that led to them creating these parts or being able to play Mm. these different things um so I've wanted to do that for a very long time, and I finally have started to do that That's now for the thing, last five man. months. Fucking COVID, mm-hmm. making my dreams come true. So it's it's the silver lining, man. It's the it's that, That's exactly that sort of, yeah. yeah yeah man. And so your goal with these um, the the channel, like you were sort of alluding to this before we started recording, uh, the goal. You said you weren't really looking at the numbers as much in terms of like the subscribes and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not going to lie and say that that doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Like when I saw that, when I saw that it's like, oh, it only takes like a minimum of of 1000 followers to kind of get you into that ballpark of monetization. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, that's not something that has been like a, a lofty goal of mine is to try to, you know, push the YouTube to its fullest extent and be like, this is what I want to make my day job. Because at the end of the day, I love 
performing and I love playing yeah. like with, with you guys whenever we've done gigs. I was actually on the way over here when I was driving over to, to Mike's, I was uh, thinking of one of the last gigs that we did together was uh, Manitoulin with uh, Beverly Mahood. That was such mm. a good yeah. time. Yeah, that was a great time. There are certain gigs that I don't, don't miss, <laughs> which is horrible to say uh and i'm obviously not going to say their names yeah. <laughs> I mean, but uh that was not one of them like that was one of those gigs that like just driving up there with a whole was a blast and then yeah we played our gig and we yeah. had a few beers afterwards and then stayed at a nice hotel and then drove back ah oh, it was yeah the best. it was it was a good action and we had like a good lunch that day too yes. in town yes but, we did so i mean these are the aspects that you're not going to get sitting in your home studio doing videos all the time i think there's an element of of that that you're gonna miss and like for myself i'm easily i don't know if maybe it's a um maybe i was just not diagnosed properly when i was a kid and i feel like maybe i've got a certain all the time a certain amount of ocd <laughs> mm-hmm. but i like my even and I'll, I'll come back to the video stuff i promise but this is kind of related when i started doing uh like when i started going to humber and uh studying there I was exposed to so many different things that I wa- I never got when I was just in- doing music in high school. And even from the videos and CDs and DVDs and everything that I'd, I'd watch and listen to, when I got to Humber, I just really, like, I studied my first year there with Mark Kelso. He, he was only doing the private lesson portion. He wasn't the head of the department oh. yet. So Roger Flock was the head of our department. Don't know who that is. And uh, not a lot of people enjoyed having lessons with Roger, but I did because it was a different perspective. I think people didn't enjoy having lessons with him or, or being in masterclass with him because it was so um, it was so the opposite of everything that we thought that we wanted to be there for. So we were learning a lot about orchestral percussion. We were learning a lot about sure. uh, snare drum. We were learning a lot about listening. And funny enough, I feel like those were attributes of the, like those master classes that helped me kind of have an antithesis to everything else because yeah. I was easily getting all my drum kit material when I was studying with Mark in private lessons. And then I'd go off and we do improv class and I'd be able to play time behind a lot of guys yeah. or same with the theory, the theory playing tests. I was playing time behind a lot of uh, people doing their tests and then ensemble. So that class was a good good exposure to me to see a lot of other things outside of just like playing drum kit only. Um, and I have a piano background too, so it was easy, maybe easier for me to gravitate towards playing mallet percussion because a lot of the guys that were drummers there, maybe like eighteen out of the twenty of us, they yeah. they'd never touched a keyboard instrument at all. Yes, yeah. So so maybe I just found it easier to to do all that because I've been doing it in high school and um, and beyond, like before that. But w- when I studied with Mark, he he was mostly trying to, you know, go, okay, we're going to reel you in and we're going to work on your groove and we're going to try to like actually give you feel because I feel like I just being like a rock, a rock Same kid here. from yes. Ajax, uh, like that's all I was pretty much used to kind of playing. I, I did have like a decent amount of jazz experience playing in, in high school big band, but in in relation to everything else going on at the school, it's nothing. Sure. It's, it's just it's like yeah you think you know jazz it's not jazz but let's talk to larnell <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um but then uh mark was playing with holly cole at the time so there were periods where he's like okay i've got to go like i'm going to europe for two weeks on a tour or hey i've got to go do this set of shows for two weeks with her here 
So I, during that first year, I studied with Mark and I got a lot of great stuff from him. And he's pretty versatile of a drummer, drummer himself, obviously. So I was getting a lot of this, um, you know, a lot of these different understandings of styles and everything from, from him. But I remember having two weeks with Rick Lazar, who uh, he's a percussionist and he runs a band called Montuno Police that Mark actually plays in. Mm. Um, so he's very much into Brazilian music and Cuban music. And he taught me about like Brazilian phrasing, which was something I would have never got if I had never gotten to school. Sure. So understanding how that phrasing worked, it was like, oh, like you can, it's this, this uh, rhythmic tension that's created within the music. It's, um, he called it the, uh, the tumaraka. So like tumaraka, 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 tum. So it's, it's a feel. You can't, you can't read it. So sure, it's, sure, yeah. It, yeah, it's like really when you look at it on paper, it's 16th, 16th notes and you're playing the first and last 16th. And so that would be like, but it's like, no, 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 that's not it. Like he used to say to me, so you're not getting it. You're not getting it. Cause you can't just get it. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you couldn't like, especially being a white kid from the write suburbs. it down <laughs> in a manual it. and read it a hundred years from now. Yep. And go like, oh, it's that. It's uh, I kind of get that with uh, Gaelic music. There's some stuff in Gaelic music with the fiddle players. I'm like, I don't really know what you're doing there. Yeah, like buddy. phrasing is a thing. Like if you learn a language, um, you can learn the language really fluently, but people are going to be able to tell, nah, you're not from yeah. that that area. Or when you go to different, like people will learn English. Um, or actually it's funny. I, I remember seeing, um, like a book and it was literally written out, like learn Brazilian Portuguese because oh, it's not the same okay, as yeah. like mainland Portugal, Portuguese, uh, or even, you know, even look at us with English. You, you have somebody that might learn English here and then, okay, send them to Australia. Yeah. And see how, how they fare with that. Right. Because there's <laughs> more to it than the language itself. There's the dialect. But anyway, like this was this was uh, an exposure I had studying with Mark, and then getting to study for like a little bit with with Rick, and then I had some lessons with Ted Warren, who was teaching there at the time. Oh, he's great. And, um, yeah, and so and and then Don Vickery came in, and he's more of like a very traditional old school jazz guy. And then also seeing a lot of the guys that would come through, like and do clinic work and everything. Like we had Billy Hart come in uh, my third year at school. I got to related to Bret Hart. No, <laughs> too too bad. <laughs> That's too bad. Um, but he, um, uh, Billy Hart, he he used to play with Miles back in the seventies. He came in um, and he did clinic work with us. We had, um, um, oh, why am I drawing a blank on the name right now? Oh, uh, Dan Weiss. We had Dan Weiss come in a lot. Uh, pretty much like yearly, he would come in from New York and do do a set of clinics with us and. Mm. Uh, it's funny, like he's a big fan of Mashuga, but he's a straight, straight ahead jazz guy. And at the same time, he uh, has studied tabla, so he incorporates Indian rhythms. It's phenomenal stuff. Yeah, but kind of going to going to school and having a lot of these different, like this exposure to stuff I would have never have gotten. I started kind of falling in love with music on a whole different level than just like getting a gig which is probably why I don't feel like I have like a main gig to this day because I'm, I have so much enjoyment getting called versatility, so many yeah. different things. And mm-hmm. I alluded to this before we started about it. It's kind of like being the, uh, the journeyman goal goalie, uh, in the NHL <laughs> where it's like, he's just playing backup with like a different team every year, but he becomes an integral part to that team. And he sort of bounces around or even better. 
it's kind of like whenever you watch you're you're watching movies and TV shows and you always see this one actor pop yes. up. You can't you can't Character put a name. Actor, you're just like, oh, it's that guy. Called? Oh, it's that guy. Yeah. I feel like I'm I've become that yep. guy. Yeah. And it's all come out of a love for every opportunity to play different types of music that have come up. So same with education and performance. I don't think I could just sit in my basement and do YouTube videos the whole time because I would have an itch to be like, man, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Versus also kind of like, sometimes I feel burnt out when I do live performances a lot. Me too. Um, Yeah. And I used to do a ton of theater pit work for, for a long time. And that's actually where I really started to feel that, that type of, um, feeling come about. I was just so like the first week of, of the performance you've been rehearsing and you've been doing all the, uh, the dress rehearsals and, and the, like the press shows. And then you do the show and it's good. Like the first week. And then the second week, I'm pretty familiar with the book now. So, but you know, we're still kind of keeping on top of everything. Third week you're, you're like buried in your face in a book or you're like, you know where all the cues are coming from. It's like that episode of Family Guy where like Brian's sitting on the couch and he's watching that. I forget. It's like the, the behind the music with, with poison or something. And <laughs> you just see, just see uh, Brian just like mouthing the words to the oh, thing because okay, he's watched yeah. it 17 times. Yeah. That is probably the best example I can, <laughs> I can use for long standing pit shows because they just tend to be, you already know what's coming down the pipeline. You already yeah. know where all the hits are. It's just, pit yeah. music seems to pay pretty well. I've never done it because my reading is reading is actually okay, but it's not great. Like the really high end pit stuff definitely does, but like I like the ones that we were doing. Um, like I've only done ever one union pit job, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and it wasn't even really a pit job. Like we were on stage for it, but that and that show was really interesting. Actually, it was, it was with Will. We were in Petrolia. Oh, the Petrolia yeah, game, yeah, yeah. You know, I remember him talking about that. <laughs> but. Um, but some of the other pit stuff, like I started getting my pit work experience playing in the Oshawa Little Theater way up there. So that's like Sim- Simcoe and uh, Taunton. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah, right yeah. around there. I think I might have went to go see something with Will at that. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. We'll, I don't we'll think be you surprised. Were, yeah. um, but I started doing that work because a lot of retired high school teachers that were doing music in the area, they were doing the pit shows, but then they'd be like, ah, like give the experience to this kid. And I was like ah, yeah, 19, yeah. 20 at the time. And I'd go and I do the shows for like 25 bucks a show. Like yeah. Super not yeah. good money. Yeah. But, but you know, after a while, like I haven't really done a lot of pit work since just simply based on the fact that I didn't want to get caught in this cycle of doing the same thing every time. Yeah. So doing the video work is great because it's, it's given me an ability to go, okay, like we're going to tackle something totally different that we haven't done before and we haven't done on a, on like a level of like consistency, but now also challenging myself to be like, okay, when life goes back to normal, let's see if you can keep it up. Yes. And being able to balance that out with still performing. Cause I don't, I don't want that to stop if it doesn't have to. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and do you find that you're reaching more students and getting, uh, accruing new students through, uh, the video work that you're doing? I have been. So, um, w- one of the things with the lesson stuff, like the way I always pitch it to anybody is like, like the videos are always free cause it's on YouTube. It's public. It's there. Um, but what I'll do for every video, especially my, my Tuesday lesson video work is I'll do a, like a lesson sheet or a PDF that goes along with it. Yeah. So there are some of those students where even if I'm doing the performance in the video and I'm breaking it down, there are some of them that, that like, if you can get it, just by watching it and listening to it and you think you figured it out. Great. Awesome. Like you've, you've got the stuff, but 
Um, there are some students who are watching it and I tried, I try to not, um, like I try to not to do it too quick in some cases because I, yeah. I want them to be able to absorb it. And I want that, like, it's not just about the performance. It's not just about like, Ooh, look how flashy I can play. Like, I know I've got chops, but I'm not going to like, that's not a good lesson to just be like, yes. okay, yeah. now your turn. It's just, that's, yeah. that's not how it works. Um, but I'll play, I'll play, like do the performance aspect of it and then I'll break it down in certain spots or I'll do it slower. And if there are some students that can't really understand how, like what's happening or they just kind of can't suss it out, um, I have an available PDF for them to purchase if they want. And it's, you know, depending on the, the lesson, it could be like three to five pages or I've got some that are like 10 pages long. So for, so for like basically three bucks US, you're getting a, a, a large value of something that yes. I would I would do in a whole lesson, which would normally be anywhere between like 35, 40 bucks or something. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So so I, I give that um I give that as an option to some people. Uh that's also why I've got the Patreon going on, so that if you want, you can just subscribe and do uh do like yeah, like for ten bucks a month I, I can get access to every single lesson PDF sure. there is. Sure. Mm. But I've had some people like uh I just recently had somebody from Manila <laughs> in the Philippines go, Hey man, like I saw these these ones you did with the syncopation book, these five videos. I really want those ones. Like how much are they? Yeah. So I'd be like, Oh cool, yeah, I'll sell sell them to him and somebody else in Italy and somebody in the UK and a whole bunch of people in the US. Um like the YouTube analytics are, are interesting because I'll sometimes go, ah, like, let's explore this. And I think about like 95 or no, it's not 95%, but it's, it's like high nineties or somewhere in the 90% range of my video watching by country has been the U S. Mm. So, really? yeah. So a lot, a lot of it has just been people in the U S and part of it is because people like when I, when I put this stuff, I'll always put it on YouTube, but I'll always take that video and put it up on Facebook and mostly Instagram. Some days I just can't be bothered with editing it. So I'll maybe only, and I don't want to flood it too, too much, but, um, but I'll, I'll maybe go, yeah, like this new video is out or I'll at least put it in my story. And some people that will like some drummers that will see that, um, they'll go to the the link for the YouTube and they'll check it out. And, um, yeah, essentially I'll just get random emails from people just asking for certain ones. Like one guy actually was like, I want every, PDF that you've done since the beginning when you first started this stuff. So it was like 22 what? videos. So I'm like, sweet. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and I like charged him for it and he paid it and I sent the stuff out, which yep. is great. Um, I mean, that would be great eventually if you could get it to the point where you have an online sort of store. So you don't even have to deal with the transaction. It's just money coming in. Well, funny enough, this has been, so another thing I've always wanted to do is, um, webcam and, and modeling webcam <laughs> shows only fans no. <laughs> only fans I joked about that uh, I think a podcast uh, it's starting to come up every week now only fans oh, I didn't know what yeah. that was but I, somebody told me about it and I'm fascinated so they pitched it to me and it wasn't what I thought it was though they're like yeah these famous people just have only fans and yeah. I'm like these people aren't famous no people I've seen it's so greasy though <laughs> it's the greasiest thing ever. Yeah. so greasy and, um you had Dave Kirby on on the show, and I loved it because I I wanted to do a book myself as well, like an yeah. actual course mm. or an actual book. Um, uh, doing a book itself, it, it takes a really long time. I've been writing material for five years on on stuff, but it's always trying to find a way to formulate it. And when you do a book, it's also finding a way to 
kind of thematically put it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been a challenge myself, but I'm hoping that, well, okay, I, I've had a lot of people that have been gravitating towards purchasing the PDF material. Okay. So if I'm able to condense a lot of that and reformulate it into a way where I can sell it as a, as a product, that's, like yes. similar to like a guy like Rick Beato does yes. that with his stuff on, on YouTube as well. well right? Somebody was like, Oh, you know, like is some, are they monetizing this thing online? And I'm like, Everything online is leading to, towards a monetizing yeah. thing. So that's great if you could do that. It's also, too, if you're doing your clinics and you've gone in with Long McQuaid and you're like, yo, could you like hold this book in all your stores? It's yeah. like, that's that's a lot of money. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's just always trying to find like those alternate sources of, of income. Yes. But at the same time, it's stuff that it's not just about the job. It's about like I've got a very, very much of like a scientific brain, I think, where I'm always and, – and a very um, – algorithmic yeah. way of thinking. So a lot of my material is always trying to find like, okay, what's an alternate way to do this thing or this, or like, am I leaving out an option of something else? So that's why formulating it as a book just seems like a, like an automatic yeah, process or just something. Yeah. that's like, yeah, like it's a no brainer. Yeah. So I'd love, I'd love to see if I can get it to that point, but seeing like just getting people to, to go to the channel and if they like it and, um, and I try to be no nonsense about my stuff. The hard part with YouTube right now is that it's so much about the performance aspect. I do have a bit of a uh, a bit of an axe to grind with some of these videos that will get put out, where it's like, here's uh, here's a lick, no context, just a, just a thing. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like cool, like you're learning a lick, but why don't I give you the vocabulary to learn more than just the one lick? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's right. no different than like, like telling Teach your buddy, fish. <laughs> yeah, or, or like, like we had, we had, um, we had this one guy from, um, oh god, where was he from? He was from like Abu Dhabi, when and so like the the United Arab Emirates when when we were in elementary school and people would be like, yo, say something in Arabic, yeah. say something in Arabic, and it, and you know it would be this like that. That's the general, you know, <laughs> that's a representation of the times. Yeah, but it was so it was so much more about this just entertaining thing where like he could just say this thing or like teach me how to say like a swear word in your language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't that doesn't tell you how the language works, and it doesn't tell you about like the language itself. And and you're never going to really learn that language until you engross yourself in yeah in kind learn, of more like, than the just the one phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So That's some, yeah. super appealing to me. I don't know if I know any just like lick licks. I do. But like that never appealed to me just to like learn a lick. It's like, well, like I want to be able to like do the thing he's doing, but you know, all over the place, you know? Yeah. I think, I think a big part of that is uh, like, so for me, I started approaching like one thing I've been trying to approach and I haven't really done a full video on this yet, but it's approaching taking a phrase and being able to shift it. So, Mm. and this is, this is something it's not new, but a lot of the time it's so easy to do it with simple phrases. So even like a, like a three triplet quarter note hit, like one and a two, sure. but can you do that on every shift? Like one, two and a three, one, two, three and a four, one, two, three, four and a one, like being able to kind of move it in different, yeah. different ways, mm. but taking like a pattern that somebody like, uh, you know, if I listen to a certain phrase that I've seen Vinny play, my my Vinny Colyuta, for those who don't know who I'm talking about. For the uninformed, about. for the layman. <laughs> for the people who don't know me That's well. The, the, we were saying this at the beginning, like the only things I know about you are you, you love Vinny Colyuta, Krispy Kremes, and Greg Blitt. 
Yes, that was, that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> um, and and I think a lot of people will also think that I I love Vinny simply because of the chops. Yeah, I don't. It's it's kind of what I alluded to before. It's the level of versatility yeah. and like the guy has been on so much stuff that you haven't realized listening to. Like it, it's just going back into his discography is amazing. But then realizing like, oh, he did like I think he did the, um. The la- the latest like DC movie, like he did really? some of the stuff in the latest DC yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, so he's not Vinny on everything too. No, yeah, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Like that's how much of a chameleon he is. And I've yeah. always I've always appreciated that from a guy like him because everybody just sees the chops and just automatically will want to gravitate towards all of that. But the guy can just lay the groove down, like yeah. like the Elf theme song, the show Elf. That's Vinny. <laughs> like it's just that's him and he's not throwing any chops at all he's just he's just grooving hard on it yeah. or even like um if i ever lose my faith in you by sting that's him on that. sure, yeah, he's yeah. on the whole album but that one single track that's him um like it's just it's 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 cool because there's a whole different side to that but if i listen to something that he's done i want to take it and dismantle it and go okay how can I? How can I yeah. make that my own? How can I move it around? Yep. How can I do this with that? Yeah, and, and so it's more organic too. Because I yeah. find whenever I do a lick, it, it seems forced. It's like okay, here comes the the like yeah. here comes the sequence. But if and it will always be in the initial stage. Yes, but part of like that process of taking it and maneuvering it that's, is doing things like exactly okay. It. What if I started on one? What if I started on yes. the and and looking at the base subdivisions and then going well? What if I instead of doing right left i went left right here yeah. oh okay that's kind of cool it's a little tougher this and way then you find but... things you can't do and you're like oh i, I want to do that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like that's one thing that i've noticed i look back like five years ago and i'm like oh that lick that i was trying to get into my playing is in my playing there you, you go. know it's yeah. it's there i've done it because then because then after you hit a certain while of playing something and kind of forcibly putting it in in your practice it will eventually be absorbed a la osmosis yeah, if yeah, that yeah. makes any sense yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you just naturally start to realize like the ways that you can kind of finagle it in there but at the same time it's ingrained in you now it's no longer yep. um like think of it again going back to the language thing think of it no different than words that you didn't understand when you were a kid versus the the level of vocabulary that we all probably have now i've lost mm-hmm. <laughs> probably <laughs> i've lost so yeah. well i think a lot of uh soloists uh this is definitely a guitar thing but i think some of the coolest drum solos too it's like that that's what a lot of great solos will do is they'll take an idea and then they'll play that same idea again with some variation um and then they'll play it again and maybe shift it a little bit in terms of time and phrasing and then they'll play it again you know what i mean and like mm-hmm. like one guitarist that comes to mind that does that for me is uh uh, John Fushani from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like a oh, lot of yeah. those solos is just like one idea that he just stretches and manipulates and, and varies on. And that's what keeps a solo interesting because there's some continuity there. You're not just going like lick one into lick two into lick three into lick four into lick five. And it's just like, that's that, that can be cool too. But like when you have that, that continuity there, the, the listener can uh, appreciate like he went shit da da And then he went, you know it's like that's cool there's a theme to that i get what's happening yeah um yeah and it's just like you said it's that one figure with a little bit of 
you know, you're displacing it or you're adding a note to it or whatever. That's a really cool way to approach um, mm-hmm. soloing as well as obviously just trying to sort of get a mastery over the uh, the idea in your own practicing. You should call your book Teach a Man to Fish. Yeah, exactly. That, that should be the name <laughs> of Teach your book. Or musical storytelling without lyrics. <laughs> you can lead a horse to water, but it'll never learn how to fish. <laughs> there we go. Uh, just totally, make, totally make like a chewing get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so talk a, talk a bit about your relationship with Yamaha and how you got to be a clinician for them. So back in, uh, I went to Humber between 2003 and 2007. And uh, by that time, Mark Kelso uh, eventually did become the head of the program. So that was in my third year. So around 2005. And um when I was getting ready to graduate, I did, I did four years of my program. We didn't have the same degree program that I think you guys had, but we had, um, we had basically, uh, somewhat of, a unofficial version of it. That was kind of the precursor to what you guys sure. mentioned would have, but I, I stuck it out for four years, even though I had my, my diploma, I stuck it out for four years because I, like for me personally, I needed school and, um, I really felt that I got the most bang for my buck out of there. That being said, I was ready to leave when I was ready to leave. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm ready to go work yeah. now. And around that time, this is maybe a couple of years before or a couple of months before um, the end of that final year, uh, Mark Kelso came to me and he asked me if I was interested in uh, getting a teaching position through the Yamaha school. And I was like, Yamaha school, I'd never heard of this before. Yeah. And uh, their school was up in North York, so it was just uh, just across from Mel Lastman Square in North York at the time. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, he he asked me if I wanted to do it because they had been asking him about running the program. But he's like, "Well, I've now got the head head teaching job at uh, at uh, Humber, so there's no way I can kind of do that at the same time." And I've never asked him why he thought of me, but I know that's his, that's the first thing he said. He's like, yeah, actually, when they asked me about this, I thought of you. So I was wondering if you maybe wanted to go. It's maybe the way uh, your mind works. Maybe. Yeah. Because um, I even remember, too, like that that year. So I studied with Mark in first year when he was only doing private lessons. But when I was doing solo performance, I opted to do it in my fourth year, which meant that you study with the head of the department for okay. that one. So I kind of had Mark going in. And then I had Mark going out. And so when we would, when we would do like lessons, it was more so bouncing back and forth of ideas. So maybe that's where, maybe that's where that came from. But uh, bottom line, he asked me if I wanted to do it. I said, yes. So he sent me over for an audition with them. I did the audition and I got the job and that was, um, that was in summer of 2007. And that September I started teaching at their school and their school is, is, really interesting because it's um, mostly geared towards trying to do group classes. So essentially when you're doing classes of, of, you know, anywhere between like two to five or two to six students, it kind of reminded me of doing master class with, um, you know, like first and second year at Humber. And now you're just on the flip side of it. You're on the other end of it. You're, yes. you're the person that's teaching the class. So from there, uh, and and we obviously do a lot of private, uh, pardon me, private lesson work as well. And that job essentially started getting me, um, because they have a curriculum, they have their own curriculum and the Yamaha, um, the Yamaha curriculum is different per instrument, obviously. Yeah. They have a really cool thing. Yeah. The yeah. drum. So, uh, the drums fall under the, what they call the PMC, which is the popular music course banner. 
And um, so with that, basically what you have to do is you have to, to, in order to be a teacher through Yamaha, you have to train. Uh, There's a two-day training course with it. And um, you train to become a teacher. You get a a diploma or a certificate for it. And uh, so I did that obviously going in as well. I did uh, my audition, I think, in July. I got uh, notified, I think, a couple weeks later that they were like, yep, you've got the job. And then at the end of August, I had to do a training seminar course. And um, the guy who was running that course was a guitar player named Tom Duffin, who was, uh, he was teaching at the school, but he was also uh, working through a lot of their guitar programs and popular music course programs uh, through the Yamaha head office, which is over in Scarborough. So every time mm-hmm. you pass it on the 401, it's it's just before you hit. Okay, uh, yeah, 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 the big, yeah, yeah. the, the I big. I where that building was. Yeah. yeah, so it's right there on the, the north side of the 401 between Markham and McCowan. So, um, so he trained me how to do the program. So I, uh, and we have a little bit of a methodology. Like I mentioned, we like to try to do model performance. We base a lot of what we do on model performance. So even though we have a book or we have multiple books per uh, instrument and level, the idea is uh, that it's not all about the reading. It's all, it's about trying to come across from a standpoint of just, I guess in, in layman's terms, like just common sense, so we use things like call and response, uh, model performance. Uh, when we're working in group classes, especially with younger kids, we like to use something called um, like pure pleasure, which is essentially like an idea of of peer pressure, but you're using it in a in a group form. So in other oh, words, okay. if you're if you've got a student who is able to play something, you want your model performance to also give the student who's maybe not as well adversed on that part a better chance of being able to play it. But if you also use an example of one of the kids in the class, so I might I might have uh, like five kids in the class, and let's say little Timmy over here is doing it really well, and and uh, little Johnny over here is not doing it so well. I go, little Timmy, like, do you mind do you mind showing the class how to play that one section? And a lot of the the kids who have a harder time maybe getting some of those parts down will see their other peers in the class. I see kind of playing that part and go, oh man, I want to be able to do that too. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really, I really started to get, um, like I was really, I, I really bought into it because it's a great system for teaching, teaching not only like kids, but for every age group essentially in, in a lot of these settings. And from there, like a couple years in, Tom said to me, so like you're the drummer here. Like I'm the only one who teaches at the Yamaha school for drums. Mm-hmm. So he would, he told me at the time, he's like, so I think you should start taking over the drum training instead of me. So basically, so it's kind of a battlefield promotion. He essentially didn't want to do the drum portion of it anymore. He was just going to focus on guitar and strain instruments. So I started training the teachers how to do this program. So that means in Canada, anybody who teaches the Yamaha drum course they have to go through me first. That's super cool. Yeah, so in in uh, nice. yeah, so in the beginning part of September, usually usually every year they're sending me out. Uh, like we've got a lot of teachers in Calgary and Vancouver who teach this uh, material, so they'll send me out there for about a week, like maybe a couple days in Calgary, a couple days in Vancouver. And this year, um, still making still making me go. So early September, I got to go out to Vancouver to do two days I of mean, work out there. I, I screw it. I mean, flying <laughs> is well. that dangerous now? You know. Yeah. So. I'll just, I'll stay in my hotel room the whole time anyway. So, oh, what? Oh, I guess maybe you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, I, I'm, I've been doing this now, like, pretty much every year we do, we do it at least once. And sometimes they'll send me out a second time because we also do drum exams. 
which is a big thing. Like nobody else really does that a lot, but we'll do drum exams. And now I'm also a drum examiner. So I I have to examine the students of the teachers that I train how to do the material. But my title while doing that is essentially a Yamaha education clinician. So based on that idea, like it was me kind of coming up through the ranks and I'm, I'm, I feel really, um, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of this term, but I feel blessed to have had this opportunity. <laughs> so blessed, yo. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I, I do actually feel like really lucky that I've had the opportunity to, to kind of go into this, uh, journey with the Yamaha corporation and the Yamaha education, because it's this idea that education and like, especially how a lot of us have experienced teaching private lessons for so long. It's just, you sit in a room for a half hour with somebody, you teach them stuff and then they leave and next. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's this constant yeah. cycle. Whereas here it's all about growth. Like we were supposed to do uh Yamaha does a music camp every year, every, sorry, every two years. Uh, four years ago, I had the pleasure of doing it with them in uh, Mont Saint Anne in, in Quebec. And that was really cool. It's like a three day sort of thing where you're basically doing a massive clinic for like 20 kids That's awesome. on different stuff yeah. on your instrument. And we were supposed to do it this year in Whistler. Oh, and that right. obviously didn't happen. Cause it was, it's like the yeah. July, like last week of June going into July. So, so that wasn't happening. And this year was the first year. Usually we only do it for Canadian students. This year was the first year we were going to do it internationally. Oh. So I was really gunning for that to happen, but yeah. having a lot of these these opportunities to train teachers, so essentially putting on clinic seminars for the education and the materials we do, doing examinations where I have to adjudicate students, and then doing these uh, camp clinics has really kind of made me think, and I started doing this a few years ago, well, why can't I just maybe start doing my own clinics? Because- 100%. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm not a Yamaha artist. I would love to be. <laughs> wink, Yamaha. Wink, but, um, but I know, like, I, I kind of joke. I'm very unpopular. If you go on my Instagram, too, it, it says that. Highly unpopular. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I feel like I fly under the radar a lot. And- Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, a lot of that's- you know, nobody's fault but my own. Because, I feel the same thing. It's yeah. with myself for sure. I, I'm not great at self-promotion, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but on top of that too, like I've just been so focused on my playing a lot and not a lot of the bells and whistles that it's really easy for me to fly under the radar. Yes. Yeah. 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 But I do know that there are people who like what I do. And especially when it comes to the education stuff, um, they value what I bring to the table for that and, and being able to pass information for drums onto them. So I, Started just setting up independent clinics through Long McQuaid, and I did a f- I did a few of them already. Yeah, that'd be perfect um, for you. So I'm, yeah, so I usually do at least like one a year with them, and then I was this year supposed to be doing one out in Brockville, um, which it's a long story how this this one came about, but it was basically it was going to be my own independent clinic set up through like a music music school out there. Yeah, so it was something I I started to kind of take the ball and run with for myself on top of the kind of sanctioned Yamaha education stuff that I was doing already. Um, so that maybe when the world returns. To yeah. Normal. We'll, we'll see, we'll see if it happens. So doing the, the YouTube video stuff is a way for me to kind of keep that, uh, that muscle constantly flexed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, if I can use a metaphor, and I suppose you're doing like a lot of lessons just to online. As yeah, well, right? I, I, I do have to say, and this is a big thank you to like any of my Yamaha students that might be listening to this podcast episode. I have to thank them 
for uh, keeping keeping up with doing their lessons during this time. I think our school as a whole, when uh, COVID hit, we weren't sure how this was going to go, but we ended up having, I think, might be even a little higher, but at least 85% student retention Why? for That's online great. lessons. I lost wow. like two-thirds yeah. of my students, so good for you, yeah. man. Yeah, same. So say a student you know, comes to you, part is part of your group class for a year, comes to you for a year, leaves after a year for whatever reason. What mm-hmm. are you hoping to send them away with more than anything? Um, the ability to fish. So <laughs> <laughs> there, there are a couple of different ways of looking at it. And like I could look at it from, so from the musical standpoint, I'm hoping to give them enough experience to become better at their instrument without feeling like it's a lot of work. Mm. Um, doing a group class is great because it, it becomes more of a social activity and it becomes less about perfection of the material on a steady basis and more so about, you know, okay. Like, cause the other, the other great thing about our program is that we have, uh, we use MIDI tracks for every single portion of our exercises. So in other words, when they're learning how to play like just a straight eighth notes, four on the floor rock groove, mm. they're not just learning it to a click. They're actually learning, okay, we're going to put it, put some music to it and oh, I have nice. the ability to speed it up, slow it down. Okay. And we have that, we have that as a good form for them to learn while listening, learn while playing along, learn while playing with other students. So on, on one level, I, I do hope that they become better musicians, obviously, but I think for those group class students, especially the ones that are extremely shy, I'm hoping that they gain more social, um, like a, a more socially inept way of experiencing things. So in other words, if they, uh, if I've got some really shy kids or some, some students who they're not used to being with other, other kids, I'm hoping by the end of that year that they've made friends with all those kids and uh, like I had some classes where a few of them actually had added each other on Facebook and they were starting their own little like band with yeah. some other people that they knew and like they, they became friends. It's kind of similar to like when you go away for summer camp when you were younger and mm-hmm. you get that one like pen pal friend of yours that is like, oh man, he lives like sure. two hours away, but I'm, you know, we, like we write each other all the time or now we're Facebook friends and we talk and that's cool. Um, yeah. I'm hoping to kind of develop a little bit more of those social skills for these kids uh, which, because, you know, let's be honest as well. I could probably count on one hand, the handful of students over the years that have re- like, especially through Yamaha that have maybe gone on to do this as a career, mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's not always the goal, right? Like you're hoping that they're able to get these, these lessons as a kind of like a life lesson for them in a way. And music is a, is a really good communal aspect that helps us grow in our own educational endeavors. So some, some kids, like I, I have one student who ended up becoming an accountant, but he's like, but now I feel I, I was so shy when I was younger. And now I feel like having done the classes and he did four years with me doing those classes and being in a large group of kids, it gave him more of an ability to talk to people. Yeah. yeah which, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't beat that. Having, having those experiences when you're like, that was humber for me mm-hmm. because even though I still like, like kind of being by myself, my idea of a good time is sitting with a podcast or a good book or like a horror, yeah. horror film. <laughs> Have you seen hereditary? Not yet. Oh dude. <laughs> I will. I will get onto that eventually. Midsummer too. Ooh. Um, but, but humber was great because I was able to forge enough relationships and learn how to talk and, 
be social with with other people because I knew that well it's not only part of like the gig but these are like I had an ex-girlfriend in high school who she was looking forward to going to college and university so much because she's like well these are the relationships that I'm going to forge for the rest of my life sure yeah and little did I realize like that is that was so true for myself yeah I didn't Um, stick around long enough for that that was my bad (laughs) I like literally like I don't think I speak to anyone that I went to Humber with. Oh man. <laughs> Except for but me. that's because I was, I was there for one year and gone and there for one year. And yeah. Al. yeah. But Al, I know you through Will and, and Mars, man. Yeah. That's true. Actually. <laughs> that's, yeah. We more, we more connected af- after yeah. Uh, school. L- yeah. Like I remember. So Al, I remember the first moment I ever met you. It was literally in the front foyer of Marsman. You walk through the door I was sitting there with Will because I think we were doing either a summer camp or some form of summer lessons and oh, Will yeah. started talking to you and then all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, do you know Spink? Oh, no, I don't think I know Spink. And that's, that was the first time we ever uh, met each other was at Marsman. Nice. Um, yeah. And I, so I also want to, I, I kind of want to quickly preface too, I don't want to sound like I'm beating the drum for for like post-secondary, post-secondary education or yeah, Humber. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But we need I, both sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't even want to know if I'm on a side because I've got maybe a couple like really quick anecdotes that anecdotes that might um, anecdotes that might actually kind of like show both of those sides. Like yeah, for me, yeah. I needed school. That's exactly like, it. I, yes. I had to have it. Yes. Like it wouldn't. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have those experiences. And I'm an academic enough. Like I was you one learn, of those. You learn well in that environment. Yes. yes. Um yes. I and I'm one of those good kids. Like I always did the assignments that I was yes. told to and this and the other and got good and, marks. Yeah. Piece I mean for the shit. most part. There was a one year with um one I think it was second year theory. Um I won't I won't say the teacher's name, but man, he admitted after our midterm, he's like, Okay, so I feel like I didn't teach you guys well enough on this because <laughs> I think by our midterm, uh like twenty seven out of thirty kids were failing. Oh. And I and I, I had like ninety like I have I have an extensive theory background yeah. and I remember getting like ninety two in theory first year and then I think by midterm I was failing I had a yeah, forty five yeah. I was like, not one of those ones you can fuck around yeah. with you can't fake it but um but I have like I've got a student of mine or a former student who I think he just finished his third year and he called me up the other day because he. He's not only actually been on academic probation once, but he actually called me yesterday kind of trying to figure out his future and thinking whether or not he wanted to take this year off. And maybe it was also a good idea because it's all going to be online. And, but he's also got a certain amount of time if he wants to finish to get his degree because he's so close and he was Mm -hmm. sort of talking about this. And I told him, you know what? If you were going to take a year off, this might be the year, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know Online what? is, yeah. I wouldn't do that fucking I wouldn't all. either. Not, but, not for, no. Yeah, but he, it, it definitely for him, it's just not working. And I think outside of the marks aspect and maybe even the musical experience, um, he's just not finding it a great social atmosphere. It's definitely yeah, changed yeah. from since when we've been there. And I think that's an important value or an important uh, lesson to kind of learn from that too, is that just because I had a great experience and it was something I needed, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a good enough one for somebody else. And vice versa for me though, too. I always, 
I fucking talk shit about post-secondary the whole time. I mean, <laughs> but I, I do think that I'm super biased. Yeah. You know? I, I know even for myself going there, it became more about the experiences and less about the piece of paper at sure. the end. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Um, it seems to be but, a widely sort of agreed upon uh, notion that for piece sure. Of paper, yeah. baby. Most of us that went. Unless you want to go places. for your master's, which I, I have to say, like I've been kind of considering over the Talk last couple Oh, man, so. you should. Holtz, Holtz, yeah. Holtz is doing his yeah. master's now, uh, okay. and he's. Like, it's cool. He's doing an education thing. You oh, and Holt sweet. would love okay. that. Like, he's going for music as education U of T. Nice. And you, you get paid to fucking go. Well, it, part, of, part of the reason, too, is because, so Amber has been even saying to me, it's like, you should be a professor. <laughs> uh, professor <laughs> Spank. Professor Spank. I got the glasses already. <laughs> away, so we're all set. Oh, man, you and your right. course should be called Teach Amanda Fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, I got to I gotta split, boys. It's been... Uh, that was cool. It's man. been great. I, I wish we could we'll go longer, but I, I have a, I have a couple things I need to get to because I have a gig tomorrow and I got to make sure that I've got the dudes fully, yeah. fully down. Lucky son um, of a bitch. But I just did want to touch on uh, maybe a bit of a sore spot. We'll, we'll find out the Leafs game last night, man. Oh, oh buddy, man. <laughs> so I had a, I had a weird. Okay, so I was watching I was watching it for the most part last night, and I had this weird sort of um, like nobody can corroborate it because I was just watching it by myself. But I had this weird sort of like dialed in uh, like intuition in my brain while watching it. I'm watching and I see Cody CC uh, going up the ice, and I go, "Oh man, he's gonna sc- he's gonna score a shorty." Yeah, and he scored a shorty. He did, yeah, and. And I'm sitting there in the overtime and I'm going, oh man, I know Dubois is going to get a hat trick and they're going to lose because every chance they had coming back the other way, like the Leafs had coming back, they had so much pressure at the beginning of that that overtime and they're just not finishing it. And I'm going, it's not going to happen. Dubois getting a hat trick. And like five minutes later, it, it happened. Yeah. Dubois got a hat trick. Oh. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I that just, was like, a tough, I knew it. tough one to watch, happen. man. But the, you know, the, yeah, you know like, they're, saw- getting the four, they're getting game four tonight and then... It was always going to five, and it was always going to be painful the whole way. You know, that's what yeah. I, that was my prediction. I'm just <laughs> hoping that because the other side of it, like never have we had a situation in in modern NHL where you've got back to back playoff games. Yeah. So I almost have to give advantage Columbus because. Corpusalo is a little bit rested after getting pulled. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um yeah. was was just like he didn't need to do much because they really didn't have that many shots on him until like closer into like overtime. Yeah. I think Matthews had and, zero shots for most of the game. Yeah, that was like, oh man. Now they they had a ton of pressure on him. So so I get it. Although, oh man, if Jenner if, like that little strip that happened like in um in like the like the center of of the uh, defensive zone, like if Jenner had potted that one, mm. oh man, Matthews would have yeah, not heard the end of that one. That's right, that would have been, like, been real bad. Freddie, you could tell Freddie yeah. was just like, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> I screamed on my TV. I was, I was like, you owe Freddie a six pack for that, Matthews. <laughs> yeah, that was. A, I, speaking of a partying, issues. fucking like the hotel that they're staying at. I mean, I guess it's playoffs, so they're not partying. Yeah, but like they're stuck there for like a month, aren't they? For the for the whole. Time that just a this bunch of on, hockey yeah. douches just fucking hanging out <laughs> on a floor of a nice hotel. Actually, yeah. I think it's more like three months because the, the, this is only like preliminary rounds, yeah. Which, yeah, and then the actual series, like for the real playoffs. Like if that was musicians, that. as they get eliminated, three months I in a hotel, to leave though. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're allowed to leave the bubble after that. So I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not too sure about tonight. I don't know if I'll be watching. Um, Amber, Amber's not crazy about hockey, so oh, perfect. <laughs> okay. yeah. She, yeah, she's coming overnight. So Katie's not either, but I, I'm trying to trying to convert her. I don't know if I, I, brought, get- I brought Amber. I brought Amber to a, a. We actually went to a game in in Boston. Leafs versus Boston Ooh, at that TD Garden. Super fun. Back in October, and it was hilarious because even though she was wearing, a, I gave her a Leaf jersey to wear. Yeah. Everybody around us is all like Bruins fans, awesome. and we had a fun time. Like, uh, in fact, I probably had more shade thrown on us from outside of the gardens yeah, than really? inside. Oh no, they were they were totally cool on the inside. Yeah. It's like we got out, and we're walking around looking for maybe a place to like eat. And you've got people going over, like just constantly making rude marks. And I'm just, I'm just no selling it. I've got tunnel vision. I'm just yeah. going, no, we're just going to keep going. And apparently um, it's, it's all in good fun down there though. Like they don't want to. In the garden, I could see it on yeah. the outside. It was like, I had a lot of, like, I actually, I, I was going, ah, let's maybe not go down this street oh, because I already shit. had like a couple people beat. Yeah. yeah. I, wow. I talked back to a few of them, but at the same time I had to be considerate <laughs> of Amber, but yeah. Um, but no, it's hilarious because she was in there and like even when Boston scored, she starts like going like, yay, sports. Like she's starting to scream. I'm like, no, like, no, that's <laughs> You're the wrong, wrong team, wrong, wrong team. Yeah. But it was, it was fun. That was like, that was like a bucket list thing for me to like see the Leafs on the road. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, especially down there. So, cause I, I love New England. Like, uh, yeah, that whole area is just amazing. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Fun times. All uh, right, dude. Well, uh, I mean, we could talk all. Talk all damn afternoon, you know. Um, so maybe we'll get you on for another one in the uh, yeah, that'd be in great. the near future. We should get Will involved in, in a, a, a yeah. four way. We can yeah. we can Here's be the launch pad for your podcast with Will. Podcast. How about that? The B sides. The B sides. Teach a man cuts? to yeah. fish. Okay. <laughs> no, Will and I for a long time we wanted to call it the B sides and deep cuts. Yeah, podcast, yeah. So, still which wait. we have an Instagram for it. I'm still you do. waiting I, I for just saw episode the other day. one, man. Still waiting for episode yep. one. Uh, so if people yep, want to follow gonna, you on yep. uh, YouTube, it's real easy. Just type Aaron Spink into the search bar and you'll find Aaron's channel. Lots of great uh, content there, educational and uh, and otherwise. If you're a fan of uh, sweet drum stuff, definitely go check it out. Uh, Aaron, you're on Instagram as well. It's yes. at the real Aaron uh, Spink. Spinko84. Oh. At Spinko84. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> and, uh, Born in 1984? <laughs> Shit. Nope. Anywhere, I'm old. Anywhere else Fuck. that folks can uh, get in touch with you if they want to? Or is um, that I'm on Facebook, so I have I have a Facebook page. Uh, you can search for it. Uh, I believe the handle would be facebook.com slash Spink. Mm. And I'm on Twitter, Aaron Spink. Uh, really, I just use that for news and sports, so yeah, I don't really yeah, post yeah. much on there. Yeah. But, I don't know what to do with Twitter. Like, we have a Twitter, like... Wh- how are we going to use it? Well, I just post on it every time we post an episode. But like, what what, what do people go to Twitter for? I don't really know. News and sports. To, to get upset. Yeah. <laughs> to get, to get mad. Do I don't give a shit about. Yeah. Um, Mike's on Instagram, at Bruno the Meek. And uh, you can find myself on Instagram, uh, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, at Alro Music. Find the podcast at Music Guy Podcast on YouTube, uh, where we've got some sweet videos, including how to mix a podcast. Aaron, you can check that out if you're looking to start your <laughs> your episode. Well, oh yeah, I definitely will. And I am uh, subscribed. There you go. There you go. And um, there's also uh, a, a video about uh, lesson setup and uh, some other cool stuff like that. 
And of course, we're also on Instagram, and you can go to musicguypodcast.com to find all of our past episodes. And uh, if you want to support the show, just tell your friends. And we would, uh, that would help us a lot. We would love, we would love you for We'll it. figure out how to monetize this eventually. Yeah, I don't, we're not, we're not, we're not doing <laughs> it for the money. We're not doing it for the money. should do some oh, sick, uh, merch. sick merch. Sick uh, merch. I mean, uh, I, I was saying, I mean, Al could start an OnlyFans, but, Only you know, fans? he was really oh, against okay. it. <laughs> if you guys did a t-shirt, I would, I would yeah, yeah, it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. all right. Okay, fuck yeah. Um, so... Thanks, everybody, for listening, as always. Thank you, Aaron, for uh, being our special guest this week. It was a long time coming, and I'm glad that, that yeah, uh, we could get yeah, you yeah. on, man. That was great. Thanks for having me, boys. We'll do it again. We we'll will. do it again. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>